This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Evil Dead Rise. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Thought you were going to say it's... Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, as always, this is... Abe, hello, Aaron, how are you? I'm doing well, I, uh... Got myself an entirely new computer setup here, so I uh, I've been tinkering with that all day, and uh, I just heard about this, and it's gone well. Like I have everything the way I want it to be. So well, there you go. Yeah, brand new computer. You know, smelling fresh and clean. It's nice when things work. <laughs> this is always the case of anything, right? Yeah, I'm glad that this <laughs> bridge works. <laughs> really awkward to be drive on that bridge for the first time and it doesn't work and you're like oh how could this be prevented we learned about <laughs> right. it in physics class that tacoma bridge don't get on it how are you doing i'm doing well i was a little hesitant to watch this week's uh, main review and uh we'll talk about it later but um you know so far so good i, I survived so far so good as in there can still be some residual effects <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens well, Out Now is a film podcast. We're aiming to discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies the most important for your review. The occasional commentary track or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 531. 531. Great for a haunting. Indeed. And this week we are talking a haunting uh, of the evil kind because we're talking Evil Dead Rise, the latest entry in the ongoing Evil Dead franchise. And joining us to do such thing we have from Cal State Fullerton, this teacher's with the maggots now. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Hello. Mike, how are you? Mike, hello. It's me with my same old computer. (laughs) Me too, me too. Same page. How you been doing? It's good to have you back here. Not bad, not bad. Well, good. I think it's been a while. It's been a while since I've been on with Abe. Oh, okay. That sounds accurate. Classic Abe move. (laughs) (laughs) Well, regardless, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, this movie with both of you, uh, and we'll get to that soon enough. But first up, let's get to some show notes. Let's see, what do we got? Uh, new commentary track. We uh, we concluded our I Love L.A. commentary theme uh, where we talked about various action movies throughout the decade set in Los Angeles with the film Collateral with director Michael Mann, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun to get into. And yeah. you can find that track now on iTunes where you can find all the episodes of our show. And you can also give us a rating review, which would be great. Great. Ooh, get well soon, Jamie Foxx. Say that again, Mike. Get well soon, Jamie Foxx. Yes. Get well yes, soon, yeah, Jamie Get well soon, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Dark Collateral. So yeah, commentaries always fun, and uh, we have some plans for uh, the summer. So keep that in mind as well. We got some, <laughs> we got some cool plans for uh, what's coming up as far as commentary tracks this summer. Yeah. Um, what else? Speaking of the summer, actually, the eleventh annual summer movie gamble. Oh my gosh! Next week we are recording that episode, which means that's crazy. The week after kicks off, basically the most important event when it comes to to, to movies out now <laughs> specifically. <laughs> Eleven Daniel Wall Summer Movie Gamble all summer long. Abe and I will be tracking what the highest grossing films of the summer are going to be uh, and how they match up to the predictions that Abe and I, as well as many other frequent guests of the show, make in regards to the domestic box office. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for all that because that's always a, a lot of fun. Indeed. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's move on to some. Uh, let's let's get some out of cookies. Trademark. Each week, not now. We 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 out of cookies. Trademark. All right. That was good. That's pretty good. Uh, Mike, ice. yes, I thought so. Sure. Mike, what what have you what have you seen recently? Um, what have I seen? I've been watching Beef on Netflix, which is great. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet. Um, saw Air, enjoyed it. 
more or less. Uh, Renfield is terrible. <laughs> Terribly um, fun. <laughs> no. Oh, it's bad. It's a mess. Anyway, um, most recent thing I saw is Bo is Afraid. Oh, huh. I uh, didn't care for it. Okay. I, I presume Aaron's seen it. A- Abe, have you? Seen I have it not yet? seen it, but I've, I've I've definitely heard mixed reviews. Yeah, I didn't didn't like. It. I think it's good evidence maybe that Ari Oster is a filmmaker who is maybe at his best when he's working within a genre to frame his narrative and keep things on a certain amount of track. Um, I mean, this is only one film to base this on, but if if Bo's afraid, if this is what happens when he's completely left to his own devices, I think it's, I'm not going to deny the ambitiousness, the ambitiousness of it, but I found it a little too in love with its own abstract hmm. Freudian psycho symbolism. And, you know, I was into it at the start, but by hour three, it really wore off on me and got rather tiresome. So I'm a thumbs down. Got it. I'll have That's thoughts cool. in the future when Abe and I yeah, talk like, about I'm I was afraid. Check <laughs> it out probably the next week or something like that. I think it's I think it'd make a good podcast episode for sure. There's a go. lot. If we go as long as the movie, that'd be incredible, Aaron. You guys That's go make a meal of that. <laughs> our, long, our longest nights. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Oh okay. god. Now all right. Abe, how about you? Uh, I caught up on Japanese uh, film Suzume. Uh, this is the anime that uh, the full-length anime from director Makoto Shinkai, um, previously directed Your Name and Weathering with You. I have not seen Weathering with You, Aaron. So I'm I'm curious to know if you uh, know the answer to this question, which is: Is there always seemingly a a twist of some kind in his movies? I don't know if twist is the way I'd phrase it. I'd say no, I suppose. Okay. I mean, there's certainly like developments that take Sure, place. sure. Of course. Yeah. Like any movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought that, I thought that uh, Suzume was, was good. I don't think I liked it as much as your name, uh, but I think that there certainly is a lot of, there's a lot of, um, a lot of like post uh, huge eco- e- ecological trauma in this movie regarding like earthquakes and and what have you and i know that there's like a lot of stuff that japan has gone through with regard to everything involving earthquakes uh whether that's the earthquake itself or like huge tidal waves or you know uh what have you tsunami waves and it's just been sometimes uh devastating and sometimes not as devastating uh but this certainly has a lot of that that psychological element packed into it and i i dug that stuff uh, immensely but um yeah i think that there was like a, an attachment an emotional attachment that i didn't feel as strongly with uh, this one as i did with your name um and so i'm curious to see his other movies but yeah it certainly is a pretty cool it was it was a great atmosphere to watch this in the theater with people that were into anime and reading subtitles and just having um you know a screen come up uh, the the closing screen come up as as white um, when everybody has like tears went during out of their face, so it's it a choice. But yeah, it's, so far it, it was a good movie, but not great. Has the year's best chair. Just putting that out there right now. This is incredibly true. Yeah. So yeah, check it out for things that uh, are are peculiar and fun. And um, I I want that chair. Anything else? Uh, no, just watching a lot of TV. But yeah, like what, Abe? Well, you know, things like Bob's Burgers, catching up on, on that show. I never know the schedule for Bob's Burgers and whenever... Sunday's whenever the, on Fox. That's no, it. <laughs> yeah, animation Sunday. But yeah. There's, sometimes they take like a week off, two weeks off, 
and then they'll come back. You know, sometimes they they don't have an episode because there might be like something like the Super Bowl, and so they have to skip to the next week. So, um, I was glad to see that they were they've been back for about a couple of weeks, and uh, the episodes, I the Christmas episode was was just I think the all season the best episode for the, of the season so far. Um, and there has been a couple of them that have been okay, but I just enjoy that the Bob's Burgers team is just able to make really fun animations inside of the the animated show. So they'll kind of show like, you know, crudely drawn uh, characters in, in thought bubbles kind of thing. And it's really just fun to see them kind of play with the genre because I think that they are all on the same train of we're... we're a fun family that really cares for each other kind of thing versus um, some other TV shows or some other animation things where things can go a little bit more awry and they're a little bit more off the beaten path because they are characters. They're, they're cartoon characters that can do whimsical things like, yeah, these guys do whimsical things too, but they're also at the core of it, just a, a strong cohesive family unit that really cares for each other despite all like their economic woes. But yeah, Bob's Burgers. All right. Never, <clears throat> I've never seen that show. What? It's about this guy Bob. He has a lot of burger places. Oh, it's like it says. It's like near impossible to find out when it's on. So <laughs> there you go, Mike. Thanks for backing me up there. Thanks for backing me up. I need to see it. I just can't get a hold of it. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Let's send Mike a DVD screener. Get it together. Yeah, get it together. Fox Animation Sundays. Twelve Sunday years in the same slot. Come on. Yeah, their schedule is a little bit wonky sometimes, though. <laughs> But how about you? What have you been watching? I've seen a number of things, and since we're not recording an episode next week, as far as traditionally it goes, I, I, I'll i just go through a bunch You're of stuff here. You're going to the clip? Yep. Um, first up, Ghosted. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, the new film on Apple uh, starring Chris Evans and, and Armas, and um, it seems like they got bit by the Netflix bug because this movie sucks. Um, it's um, really bad. Um, I, I feel like that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that like watched the trailer or saw the poster or read the general premise. Uh, but uh, yeah, not good. Um, it um, it's the kind of movie where you watch this and then you like remember something like Night and Day existing and being like, oh, good thing Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz know how to make this kind of thing work. And examples of action comedies with a touch of romance in them can like actually be decent because this is just the pits. Um, so yeah, when bad you, movie. Yeah, when you say that they had the Netflix bug, do you mean that it's just these high concept? They all kind of look the same. Um, pack some stars into it, come out fairly ambiguously, go away like a week later. Yeah, mm -hmm. that. Yeah, sort of just product, right? Without any heart or soul to it. When it comes to the Netflix films that aren't directed by you know Scorsese or you know one of the auteurs that they happen to get for some reason, uh, yes. Um, and Apple, I think, generally does a good job of procuring good talents for what they have, especially their TV shows. But like, th this feels exactly like a like gray watching, man watching yeah. Gray Man or Red. The Gray Man, like, here's the thing: they're going to get a sequel to Gray Man, by the way. <laughs> we'll see. Um, <laughs> here's the thing: Ghosted is two hours, yeah, and like the first hour is amusing-ish, but then there's a whole other hour. Uh, the gray man <laughs> is a lot of things that includes lazy and derivative, but it's not boring. <laughs> like it's, and it's that, that movie's like two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is, you know, a gray man's movie. I'm like, 
it's a mild pass at best. This is just like, oh boy, this is the the, the worst. But, but I imagine a movie like Ghosted really relies on the charisma of its two stars. So Which they do not have together, despite having been in two movies together, including the Gray Man. <laughs> so. <laughs> so so they had more chemistry as nemeses in Knives Out than they do as lovers in this? And the Gray Man. Uh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. That is that is the truth. Uh, like, Ryan Johnson like, really knows how to use his actors. That's probably the, it, the answer. Here's the thing, too. It's everybody's fault. It's badly written. It's badly directed. It's badly acted. Like, Are you telling me that you and I movie. could write a script and sell it to Apple TV Plus right now? I mean, we, you know, we don't write the best scripts. We could jot something down on a napkin and it'd probably sell. Let's, like, if it, let's this do is, it. If this is what the requirement is. Let's do Have it. Chat GPT do it. Okay, so let's stop. Let's talk less about this terrible movie. <laughs> we move on. Sure. <laughs> Um, to uh, Chevalier, um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. this movie very good. Oh. Uh, this is the untold story of this uh, famed French uh, uh, composer slash fencer. Uh, it's played by Kelvin Harris Jr. Um, there are reasons as to why his story went untold for so long, and like, recently they're kind of learning more about this, you know, black composer that had that held a kind of high status. And this movie is like it's it's fun for one thing for being like a period film set like right before the french revolution mm-hmm. um it does a good job of like basically giving kelvin harris jr like the chance to like really shine here he get he, he learned how to like play the violin and fence for like months on end to like do this role and like you can see the like the passion going into like the performance here and there's a number of like like Samara Weaving, Mini Driver, oh, nice. uh, Lucy Boynton. Like, there's a lot of people that show up in here. Everybody's wearing their powder wigs, and there's great costume design and all of that. But like, the, the heart of this thing is just like the story of this guy who is just, just very talented and knew it, mm-hmm. and how it plays with his ego as far as things that go on from there. And mm-hmm. I, I think for being a movie like this, given the subject matter, I, I think it works quite well as just like an entertaining costume drama. Yeah. At the end there, do they have the credit or like, you know, on on screen check that says Chevalier went on to win like 12 Grammys um, uh, in uh, 1784? I mean, if he won all those Grammys, he wouldn't be unknown until this now. Um, <laughs> Got it. They, 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 just show you, they just show you a highlight reel of uh, Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Um, <laughs> okay. So, but Chevalier, very good. Really, really solid movie. There you go. Is that the same actor who was in the Cyrano de Bergerac? Yes, it is. Okay. It would actually make a good double feature with those of that movie. There you go. Yeah. I wonder if there's any danger of getting typecast into these sort of 17th century French stories. I mean, honestly, if you're going to put like more black characters in 17th century stories, I'm all for it. Because it's like, these offer something different. <laughs> this, is, sure. this gives a different look and appeal to it. Um, speaking of good movies, Sisu. Um, yes this movie yeah. rules <laughs> all right <laughs> like between this and john wick i'm just like uh-huh. tom cruise you better have tanks and stairs in your movie because like i've seen some really cool stuff in action movies that come from the early part of this year uh sisu totally rocks uh, you know this story this finnish guy gets involved in some uh he finds a bunch of gold and nazis want it and the movie spends a bunch of time of him fighting these nazis it's great it's 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 super great. It, nice. it it's really well made. It's really fun. Um, it's, it's great finish exploitation. More of this, please. Cool. Yeah, seeing it all days. I'm excited by your endorsement. Yeah, it it rocks. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I saw a couple other ones. Let's see. Somewhere in Queens. This is Ray Romano's directorial debut. Oh, okay. Yeah, heard of it. It's a, a solid little comedy drama. 
uh, very much in the wheelhouse of what Ray Romano has been doing as a like, kind of a character actor these days. Yeah. Um, it's like him, his wife is played by what's her name? Lori Metcalf. And um, he has a son who's like into basketball and he might get a scholarship if he tries a little harder. And there's things going on with uh, his son's girlfriend that make things complicated. Yada, yada, yada. Sebastian Montesante is in here for whatever reason, making jokes as well. Like (laughs) it's totally harmless, but like, it's a good time. I think it's really, I think it's, I like the yada, yada, yada. And then Sebastian (laughs) is in this movie and it's because it's very, because it's pretty much, it's very sitcom-y in terms of like, yeah, Yeah, but I do think it's, I think there's enough goodness in the writing that makes it worthwhile. And, um, the attitudes on display, I think, between Romano and Metcalf and some of the other actors, I think, just works well mm-hmm. for a kind of a low key directorial debut. Okay. Uh, to catch a killer, this is uh, the the movie you've been waiting for, starring Shailene Woodley and Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, this movie. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. What intrigued me about this is that it's directed by the director of Wild Tales, this Chilean anthology film that uh-huh. I uh, really liked, which was up for an Oscar um, back in. I was like 2015, maybe. But regardless, uh, this is like the latest um, uh, Argentinian. Sorry, not Chilean. Uh, the latest um, Silence of the Lambs, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo type, like, you know, gritty crime detective story thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not going to say it's great, but I will say, you know what? It does the job in the realm of these kinds of movies. I think it it has an interesting idea as far as what to go off of. And if it's available on streaming, which it certainly will be at some points, mm-hmm. it's if like, if I saw that pop up on Netflix as guess what the number one movie is, I'd be like, that's fine. Compared to seeing this, <laughs> compared to seeing the snowman, which is currently like in the number one, yeah, high slots right. on Netflix yeah. and thinking this is Harry Hulk better. makes a return. Yeah. So like in the realm of things to catch a killer, it's not bad. Yeah. The poster is very um, interesting. Like, I was like it's action oriented, but it seems like a drama. So yeah. Um, and I, should, I have a couple friends who worked on that film. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. oh. yeah. Jason uh, Kisbarde is the production designer. He also did everything everywhere all at once. Oh, oh wow, great. He's currently he's cu- currently doing Maxine, the X and Pearl trilogy. Uh, him and his partner Kelsey, and so looking forward to seeing it and seeing their handiwork. Very okay. cool. Uh, the last thing I saw, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, this Gary movie? Craig. Yeah, Carrie Pim and Craig from um, Edge of 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and starring the younger version of Cassie in the Ant-Man movies, right. who was then grew up, and then that actress was replaced <laughs> by Catherine right. Newton in the latest Ant-Man movie. Um, uh, this is a solid coming-of-age movie. Uh, it, it entirely does the job as far as you know, young preteen coming of age comedy type thing. Uh, beyond the young actress, you have Rachel McAdams as, and Benny Safdie as the parents. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're good. <laughs> the story's simple enough. You know, people they move from the big city to the suburbs. Girl has to, you know, get involved in a new school. Coming of age shenanigans occur. Set in the 70s. Good stuff. Like, really positive feeling if anything it the fact that it's pg-13 and not pg for reasons that don't really make sense to me um i i would say it's a shame if like it it really reflects on how this movie does but i don't know how it does yet but it does feel like this could have easily been a pg it feels like there was just some like someone objecting to like one thing and they're like ah pg-13 yeah Um, especially because you know who doesn't object judy Uh bloom she's like my books are for everybody and my movies too 
which is what this should be like exactly <laughs> like, for a movie that's about characters that are under 13 it's like yeah. okay all right i'm not gonna lie i was sold on the trailer and i, I really uh dug the the feels that i got from it yeah if you like you know some of the like standard well-liked coming-of-age movies that this feels similar to you're gonna like this movie Does okay. the job. yeah i my prediction is that it's not going to do well. Sorry for the bad news. Just because my barometer for these things tend to be my students. And whenever I arrange sneak previews for things, when a sneak preview screening, which are always complimentary and they're free and you do it on your spare time, mm-hmm. um, when those RSVP lists struggle to fill, it's usually not a good sign. And so we really struggled to fill Renfield. Oh. And of course, it very poorly. And I've never seen an RSVP struggle as much as Margaret. And I think it's... Oh. Mainly, yeah, they they don't know who Judy Bloom is. You know, they're not uh, they're not the target demo anymore. So I think that's uh, yeah, I, I I don't think it bodes well, which is a shame because apparently it's great, like like yeah. Aaron says. And she's gonna get a documentary this that's gonna be released this year. Judy Bloom forever. Yeah. Well, you know, one more one more thing. Um yes. I I watched the f- series finale of Snowfall, a show that I've watched. All the seasons it's been on, it's been on for like six years. Uh-huh. Um, this was a show that was initially created by John Singleton, um, RIP, focusing RIP. on yes, RIP, focus on how um, basically how you know hard drugs came into into South Central Los Angeles and the drama that builds from within. And this has always been a really solid series, and it ends really well. And I, I for a show on FX uh, that didn't wasn't like the giant the biggest ratings draw never really had like a super huge buzz behind it but still was able to go out on its own terms six seasons later uh very happy about that as far as them realizing singleton's vision he's always been credited as a creator and producer even though he passed away a few several years ago now at this mm-hmm. point but um uh certainly a worthwhile series and happy that it went out as well as it did can i plug something kind of adjacent to this yeah, um please uh, aaron i don't know if you've been yet but the uh, academy museum of motion pictures in los angeles uh has I a di- yeah they have a display and i think it's running through july so you've got a couple months on the history of black cinema in america and they've got a sort of a side thing that showcases singleton and boys in the hood specifically but it's it's a fantastic history and a series of films and ar- archival material and it's just it's absolutely humbling and interesting and fascinating so any anyone any angelinos out there or anyone coming through be sure to check that one out. Nice. All right. That does sound neat. Yeah. By the All way, right, well, is yeah. that like uh Mike for the for the museum? Um, is it right now fully just open or is it still just like, hey, pockets of 80 people at a time kind of thing? Uh they've opened up. They're not requiring masks anymore, yeah. uh, as I understand it. And so I don't know how packed it gets on the weekends. I've only ever been on a on a weekday afternoon, yeah. but um, yeah, they're up and running, and they have a few things that are kind of rotating displays. I, I go with students um, every now and then as a field trip, and so I've you know kind of seen certain things come and go. And I guess things have to you know they're they're on loan for short term, and then they make their way back to the Smithsonian or wherever they're from. And so it's always a little bit different, but as of right now, this is just the coolest thing they've got going on, in my cool. opinion. All right, all right. Well, that's enough cookies. Trademark. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. We talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, when we thought of it, what have you. And this week we have the first trailer for Insidious on the Red Door. This is the fifth entry in the Insidious series, um, which originally started with director James Wan. Um, still has uh, Lee Wannell on board, who wrote the uh, screenplay with Wan back in the day and has always been a co-star in these films. 
And this time around, though, we have Patrick Wilson, star of the first two Insidious films, making his directorial debut with this movie, which brings back also Rose Byrne, as well as young Ty Simpkins, who is all grown up uh, <laughs> as the Lambert family once again deals with whatever the hell is going on um, <laughs> as far as uh, night demons and what have you. Uh, Abe. Yes. We've talked about these various Insidious films over the years. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that like some of them are stronger than others, personally. Uh, I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah. Well, where are you uh, with uh, coming in again as a something of a legacy sequel? I, I'm curious for Patrick Wilson's direction. Like, I'm rooting for him super hard because I think that he's a, a pretty... He's been a character actor for a while. It's pretty cool that he decided to take on this as a directorial uh, challenge. Uh, considering that he's been in other types of genre movies before, like superhero movies or just quiet dramas or indie films. Um, and it's like, great horror, Patrick Wilson. I, I He must really enjoy the franchise. But I think the other thing that's really going to carry it is what you just mentioned there. In the trailer, they do have, you know, written by Lee Wanell, a story by Lee Wanell. So that's that's a positive. That's a good thing that's, that's going forward as well. But as far as the trailer actually goes, like, it's pretty innocuous, I would say. Like, there's... Some things here and there that uh, look very derivative of the series itself. So I'm curious to see just what kinds of maybe twists and turns they might have. Because um, I, I wasn't exactly super sold on it. I think that there's just um, some things that some possible avenues of where it could go. But I would I would love to kind of check it out. Uh, and again, root for Patrick Wilson for one, but also maybe even like be get my socks knocked off. Are you guys talking about Patrick Wilson from Moonfall? <laughs> yeah, the Moonfall's one and Patrick only. Wilson. Yeah. Right, just, that's checking. That's the only one that we know him from. The only, the only Moonfall I know him from. Yes, <laughs> he he does make interesting choices, though. He, I mean, he's got these sort of classic, you know, leading man good looks, so he can, they can right. use him in things. But he also, I think, makes like Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, there's another one that's kind of an exploitation film called The Hollow Point or Hollow Points, something like that. I don't know if you've seen that with, with uh, John Leguizamo. I have not. Kind of like a trashy, super violent. Uh, he's like a small town sheriff. Mm-hmm. You have my attention with this. I don't even know what this is. And I like John Leguizamo a lot. Yeah, I think Ian McShane is also in it. It's. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. We'll have to see how he directs. But... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any interest there. in another Insidious movie, Mike? I I was not interested in the first Insidious movie by the time the first Insidious movie was over. Oh, so, okay. Oh, geez. Yeah, I, 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 I like Insidious. Why the first one? I could have been on this podcast. No, I didn't care for the first one. I, I don't. Maybe I've seen one other one. I don't know that I have. I certainly haven't been keeping up. I think. Yeah. I don't think these. And so I, you know, I, I realize that our our principal movie tonight is also Warner Brothers, and so I don't want to paint too broad a brush. But I think these sort of conjuring, insidious, sinister, with a few exceptions, I think they're generally these are movies not for true horror fans. I think these are for people who just enjoy being startled. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But yeah, that's an interesting uh, point you make there. So yeah, I, <clears throat> apart from the one Darth Maul jump scare, I don't I don't think insidious. <laughs> You know what you know the one yes, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, cut, cut, cut to the point. I did not see this trailer. I don't <laughs> see the movie. Well, I, I mean, I really like the first Insidious. I'm not big on the second one, but like I've seen each of these movies. The other, the Chapter Three, and then The Last Key, of right. course. Um, and I, I can't say that like I have a hard line on like what my Insidious movies need to be. 
But I, you know, despite not liking the sequel, meaning there's only two of these Insidious movies where I have like a, some attachment to the original characters, the idea of bringing them back for another one, it's like, all right, well, that's something. That's something new. That's something. That's that's a that's a fresh idea, I guess, for the series instead of just being like more excuses to use Lin Shay who died in the second movie, but it keeps coming <laughs> back in like prequels to the other two. Um, so like, all right, if you're gonna like give me like a boo fest for 90 minutes in July. Like that's not the, the worst thing that I think I could, you know, set my eyes on. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm not taking it very seriously as far as, Oh man, there's a new insidious film, but at the same time, right. it's like, oh, all right, make yeah. another one of these. Cool. It's going to have competition though. There's some good looking horror films coming out over the summer, like the, uh, the new Dracula one. And then there's the a 24 one. Is it talk to me? Talk, talk to, to her. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you not see that? Doctor Her is is that the uh, is that the yeah a Modovar movie? Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a reboot of, of, of the Modovar <laughs> movies, but with a horror bent. <laughs> Mike, did you not see Talk to Me already? Uh no. Okay, yeah, I saw it in, during Sundance, I believe, and I oh, have thoughts. They know more. Uh, yeah, but um, they I'm know glad more. it's getting a release in the summer. Put it that way. Uh, but Insidious: The Red Door opens July seventh. There you go. All right. Well, let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Evil Dead Rise. What's up, sis? I had the most beautiful dream. It was the perfect day. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and climb inside your bodies <laughs> so that we could stay one happy family. <laughs> when I was just a little... Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Evil Dead Rise. The beloved cult series has returned following the successful 2013 theatrical remake as well as the well-reviewed star series that brought back Ash for three seasons. This time around, producers Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert have tapped director-writer Lee Cronin to put together his own spin on the franchise. Removing the deadites and potential victims from a cabin in the woods, this time around, events take place largely in an L.A. apartment building. There's a mother, her three young children, and their estranged aunt who has arrived with emotional baggage. You know how the rest goes. One of the kids discovers the Book of the Dead, along with some handy vinyl records containing the transcriptions. Once those are played aloud, all hell breaks loose as a demonic entity traps the family in the building and proceeds to go after them in increasingly gory ways, one by one. Mike, I want to know, because I don't know, where are you with Evil Dead as a franchise? And what do you think of this movie? Oh, I'm a casual fan. I think I think all the films are good. There's no bad ones. And I enjoyed what little of the show I saw. I think I only I watched maybe most of season one and then I just sort of dropped off. Um, weirdly enough, my entry point was a little bit backwards because I watched Army of Darkness first as a, a lot of people seem to do that. Well, so in my case, I grew up in Japan oh. where yeah, Army of Darkness is titled Captain Supermarket. What? Obviously. Yeah, that's um, a great title. It is. Well, so, so the uh, by the way, the original Evil Dead is titled uh, Shirio no Harawata, which means it translates to Entrails of the Dead. Oh, that's the title. This is good. So, yeah. So that's an unambiguous horror title there, right? But then Captain Supermarket, you can tell they're really leaning into the comedy there. And so 
I, because of this, I wasn't aware that Army was part three of a series when I first saw it. And I remember thinking, like, what's going on? Am I missing something here? So, you know, I feel like there's a lot of backstory for this guy. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I caught up eventually and I don't really remember how that all happened anymore. I would have been pretty young, but um, this is all like VHS rentals. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my introduction to the series set a baseline for me that was more about the wacky comedy than it is about the horror. So, I mean, all that's to say, I'm generally on board with this more serious direction the latter films are taking. I think 2013 is really great. Uh, that one, that's 2013, right? The Alvarez. Yeah, the Alvarez one is great. Um, so, yeah, I say, I mean, I, I say leave the Sam Raimi sensibilities to Sam Raimi. And if you're going to do a, a new take on an Evil Dead film, do your own take. And I think the tonal departure that these latter two films represent really do work um, as opposed to, I, I'd much prefer this approach to if new filmmakers were coming around and just trying to redo army of darkness, for instance. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I think of this one, I, I liked it a lot. I think it's a solid good, you know, like a solid thumbs up first and foremost. I love that it's 96 minutes. Uh, <laughs> just the perfect, perfect length for a genre film. Right. Yeah, I think it's a very worthy Evil Dead film. I have a couple of quibbles that kept it from being really great for me. Um, I think the first act uh, is a little weak before things really get going. Once it once things get going, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I think I'm I'm sure I'll get chances to elaborate. But just to be really brief, I didn't think changing the setting to a city added much of anything. That seemed like a wasted opportunity. For instance, to maybe feature a more diverse cast, not have it center around another group of white people. I don't know, but Particularly, my biggest issue that is that once we're in the city, it just follows the same beats of an Evil Dead film. You know, they can't escape because the stairs have collapsed. They can't call for help because there's no cell reception. They're just replicating the same conditions as being trapped in a cabin in the woods. And the rest proceeds, you know, per formula. And I thought that was a a missed opportunity to really explore the new setting. And then the other, quickly, the other major issue I had is with the characters and certain subplots that don't do anything. There's a subplot involving a pregnancy that ends up being rather pointless. And and I'd, I'd actually like to hear you guys' opinions on this. I think this film would have been much stronger without the aunt character, the Beth character. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been scarier and more affecting if it had just been the mother and her kids without an adult who is the one who springs into action and becomes our de facto hero. But I'll, I'll leave it there. I'd like to, I'd love to know what you guys thought of that. Well, Abe, I yes. want to hear from you. I, you, you, you know, uh, we we've talked about Evil Dead films in the past. We have. I I know you had concerns over the <laughs> amount of gore you might be seeing in this film. So more just like the scares in general. You know, uh, I am a fan of the Evil Dead series, the the Bruce Campbell stuff and the Sam Raimi stuff. I mean, my first introduction was to the second one, like made for not made for TV, but edited for TV, um, back when majors. Uh, uh, production TV companies would do things like that. Um, and the thir- 2013 one, I had a good time with. I think that there was like a sense of um, relentlessness to that movie where it just, it kept on going and going and going. You're just like, man, when is this lady going to finally get some a chance to like breathe? And when is she not going to get a gallon of blood gooped onto her kind of thing? Um, and for this uh, entry into, into, I guess, are they anthology series at this point? Um, it's, for the most, it's uh-huh. set in the same universe. They just <laughs> just different people, yeah. But same same evil. Got yeah, it. 
Uh, that should be the tagline, by the way. Different people say evil. Uh, <laughs> evil Dead Rise. I I liked it. I don't know if I loved it. I think that there was a, a really good element of like bottleness to it. But I hear what Mike is saying, just from the standpoint of, well, you know, it, it could have been explored more if they had done this or that with the building or you know trying to get some outside presence and what have you. But I I enjoyed it for I think the uh the way that it was able to kind of just make me feel uneasy about knowing exactly where everything was kind of the way that some of the James Wan movies are really good at setting up what, what a house or a location looks like. So it was notable on that front of just great. I know where all their bedrooms are and I know where, uh, where all like the little clues have been laid, including things like, well, you know, there's a cat and where does that cat reside or where's this owner of this chat cat trying to, trying to go kind of thing. Um, I kind of like that they had some additional pl- characters in play because at first I was thinking to myself, oh, there's um, this is a a twelve to to one ratio kind of thing, and it does it quickly becomes just a a four to one ratio, a five to one ratio pretty soon. But I like that there was that element to it at least to some degree. Um, it did take a little bit for those other deadites to kind of come into play, but it is what it is. Um, as far as like the action and the the horror goes, I thought that it was actually pretty tame. I don't know if that's the what everybody felt, but it's like, yeah, that, that seems appropriate for what they're doing here. Uh, on screen, it wasn't really anything that I thought was too too um, uh, squeamish. Uh, I think that there was something that mentioned of a cheese grater to me, and I did, I did uh, kind of cringe at that not in a bad way but just more of like oh that that looks like it hurts um but as far as like the movie making goes yeah i think it was it was it's it's a good it's a good take but i don't know if lee cronin did anything that was like oh wow that was something that i thought was pretty incredible some visuals were were cool like you know a bubbling tub or maybe like um who's who plays the the mother um Alyssa Sutherland. sutherland her kind of like holding on to walls and then screaming for an extended period of time. Um, those are some cool little tidbits, but I think there's like some, some small cool things rather than just a full on, Hey, like let, let me make this as relentless as the 2013 Fetty Alvarez thing, where it's just like, it, it won't stop. And, and, you know, evil's messing with you in such a way that it was like humorous. This one is humorous as well, but the other one is like just messing with you in the way that like just this, this evil ghoul kind of shit talking you, throughout the entire movie. And uh, I think this one has traces of it, but I wish that it was maybe like a little bit more. So yeah, weird for me to say that, but that's how I thought. What about you? Well, as you know, I'm a huge evil dead fan. Um, I'm a big, big fan of this series. I'd watch the trilogy pretty much every October because that's super fun to me. I really like the remake as well. I do think that Alvarez had a great handle on what to do to go back to the pure horror roots of the first one. The thing I like insisting about the remake is the fact that it it's very much true to the original evil dead like mm-hmm. yes 81 and with limited budgets and acting styles what have you watching it now there's certainly a kind of a camp value to it to a degree but the tone of that movie is not the same as evil dead 2 where that movie very much adds a lot more humor where the first mm-hmm. one is very much a pure horror machine that happens to have a certain look that yes can also be seen as funny uh, to a degree in different ways the remake very much has that in mind as far as wanting to be serious and horrific and it goes for it um it, it knows how to uh do what it wanted to do as far as 
representing this Raimi universe in a contemporary way. So now we have Evil Dead Rise, uh, which I also really liked. Um, I, I I'm pretty hand in hand with that in the in the remake as far as you know quality wise. I will sure. say I do. I would say I think this one is. I wouldn't say self-aware, but it certainly seems more knowing and wanting to have fun where yeah. the remake, I do think, despite its presentation leading to things that you could view as entertainingly gory, I do think the whole plot involving Jane Levy's character who has a, you know, it's a whole metaphor about addiction that feels more severe to me than what's going on in this movie. And in doing that, I do think there's more choices being made to kind of show how much of a fan Lee Cronin is of the original series. Um, that said, it's still pretty stark for the most part, and it's very gory. I mm-hmm. Is it more gory than the remake? I don't know. I don't think so. I think there's more brutality going on in that remake than this one is. There's nothing the equivalent of like taking a a, a an edge and jamming it into your tongue. Exactly. Um, yeah, I thought of that same thing. I that, think that's the, the same the, image I came up I would say the visceral nature of that movie is har- more harsh than this one, but I think that's also a little bit by design. I think that comes from the fact of having a movie that's focused on, you know, a mother and her children, um, but compared to, you know, teens in the woods um, who are always ripe for, you know, being destroyed. Um, the the thing that I very much like about this one and that I like about all these entries of the series is like, I'm so, I can be so picky on how mean movies can be, specifically horror movies, but this is a series that kind of thrives on that mm-hmm. as far as what it wants to do. It's a series that is very much about the fact that there's no like solve to this problem. They come and they're going to just ruin everything and be horrible about it, and they're going to make fun of you along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's very much what this movie's doing, uh, particularly with a really solid performance from Alyssa Sutherland. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know either of these actresses from anything, Lily Sullivan or Alyssa Sutherland, um i know sutherland's like on that viking show which i don't watch but like as basically newbies coming onto the into the evil dead scene where they very much had to suffer because that's how you make evil dead movies by having like the toughest shoots possible um they were certainly game (laughs) and i think sutherland who has to play this possessed mother for a majority of the screen time uh does the job (laughs) being this like solid villain for this entry in the series um i do like that it uses children uh, because I just don't know what to expect in that regard. Like, are sure. they completely safe because they're so young, or are we going to let them get in on the on the gore game as well? Mm-hmm. And the answer to those questions, um, you get them. <laughs> but the um, the work done to make all this a solid entry in this series, I can agree with Mike. Yes, it's not maybe as ambitious as it could be, but I'm also I don't know how much ambition I really need in this sort of formula. Sure. Like, I feel like it's. I, I don't like if I want more ambition, I guess I'd watch like either Army of Darkness, which takes it to like a crazy extreme, or the the uh, the TV series, which has all kinds of fun on its own, doing its own thing. I, I like this that this is this kind of self-contained concept, and we can talk about the setting. Uh, but I I appreciated that it wasn't trying to kind of you know make a new wheel out of all of this. It was just more along the lines of hey, we we change it up a little bit, and we're gonna get going. You know, thirty minutes in, now it's just nothing but terror and craziness. Uh, with an ending that's wild. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm intrigued by, you know, your completely visceral reaction, right? I mean, there's there's a number of ways you can sort of rank these movies in terms of narrative and thematics and craftsmanship and things like that. But just in a in the rawest form, it sounds like in terms of 
these movies ability to just make you squirm and deliver gore effects that are just kind of really upsetting it sounds like maybe the 2013 gave you more gave you the willies a little bit more and more frequently than this one right just as a purely visceral thing that yeah as a horror experience that one i think is more successful in like unnerving me yeah yeah so, so i think i mean that to me ties directly into what sort of the this comparison aaron's making right because I do love the 2013, although, I mean, it's arguably a bit preoccupied with its own brutality. But I think 2013 is a much bolder film for 2013 than this one is for 2023. Um, mainly because within the universe of Evil Dead stuff, it was the bigger tonal shift. And this is the film that feels like it was permitted to be made because the formula was proven to work with the previous one. So it's kind of pre-approved and that puts all the more burden on this film to introduce something interesting or original. And, you know, moving into a city is a neat way to experiment and expand, but they ultimately do hew toward the formula, right? It becomes just sort of an, an evil dead film. And the more you insist that like, oh, it's not an evil dead film, for instance, without a chainsaw and whatnot, then I feel like your film becomes more about nostalgia and fan service. And so what this new film definitely has in creativity and craftsmanship, it is not necessarily accompanying that with originality or any risk taking, right? I would, I mean, I would argue that the idea of using children is its own risk right there, but also sure. the balance that it has to achieve by, yes, paying homage to previous entries. I don't think that's an issue just because there's only, so, there's not many of these movies. There's that, I'm not being rammed. It's not the 10th Jason movie where it's like, he's once again doing a thing this time in mm -hmm. space. Uh, I, I feel like, and you know, the separation in time between these even, I think is a factor. It's been 10 years since that remake and, you know, giving it, getting a new audience in, I think there's choices being made as far as how to honor something, but without doing it to, go overboard in that regard how many audiences how much, like if you want to appeal to just not just the horror fans that definitely know and dress up as ash for halloween but like people that just want to go see a scary movie i think there's enough choices being made that say like yeah we know the other ones exist here's a chainsaw cool but like it's not mm -hmm. dependent on those ideas to be successful like that the stuff it gets to by the points that it gets to certain choice you know certain references being made it's well into the picture at that point where yeah. i've already had a good time seeing the the, the rest yeah. of the movie i agree with you on that front too i think that there were it, and it kind of was just more of a um like a small little wink uh but you know at least some of those kids didn't have posters of like bruce campbell on their on their wall right <laughs> or they didn't have like a dvd just laying around that was like evil deck you know what i mean they have um, their Briscoe County Junior collection. Hey, I love that show back in Fox back in the day. Uh, but yeah, it, it, they didn't have those kinds of winks and nods to it. Um, it was a little bit more subtle. And it, it, for the most part, it actually just does its own thing. One thing I want to uh, point out to you was was um, the kids in this movie. Um, I agree with you like on this level of meanness because I wasn't sure where it was going to take these kids because I was like, well, you know, in traditionally movies would not do X, Y, or Z. And this movie was like, what if they, we did do X, Y, and Z? And it's like, I like this. I, I like where you guys are going here for here. Um, and it does actually add a level of, yes, the, the circles are shrinking kind of thing. But also, uh, I have to, like, I all of a sudden care more for some of these characters because they they uh, present this level of innocence uh, to you, right? So I um, I dug that there was, again, this, this level of meanness that I was not expecting. Um, as far as, like, the the audience goes i don't know if you guys had this happen in your screening um my screening was pretty packed uh, for an r-rated movie which is great um, and i wanted to go see it with it with an audience uh mask on 
Um, but I also noticed at least 10 people leave the theater. Um, and I wasn't sure if this was because, oh, it's a little too intense or because um, the scares kind of come along in a, not like a stringed out way. And I'm not, this is not a dismissal of the movie. More just like, oh, well, they left it like times where it was a little bit quieter on the screen. You know what I mean? Um, but I would like to think that they left because it was it was too scary. Uh, just the same way that that was my favorite experience of Paranormal Activity three when the entire audience made fun of these two teenagers that snuck in and then left because it was too intense for them. So full disclosure, I saw this uh, last Monday at the Arrow Theater in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the director in attendance uh, for a sold out preview screening that had press there as well to some degree. So it's like. The people going to see this movie came to see this movie. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't, they weren't exactly like being like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. Uh, they knew what they were getting into. And though we didn't have any walkouts, at least that I could tell, but um, we certainly had the kind of reactions and cheers and things that you'd want to get from the moments that you'd expect them to be based off watching this movie, mm-hmm. which speaks to why it was such a good choice to not make this an HBO direct, uh, HBO Max direct uh, release, which it originally was going to be. Um, and it's only proven to be so from the $23 million opening that it had this weekend. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's paid off, but in terms of like an audience goes, yes, I saw it with an audience. I was, you know, pumped to see this specific movie, right. but they certainly reacted the way that you hope they react to it. And you even got like extra stuff in your audience. Yeah, they had. Okay. So like they, <laughs> before the film started, the director came up, gave an intro and then Michael, here, here, this is neat, actually. They had a person playing a relative of Professor Novi from the franchise lore um, mm-hmm. who was reading from the Book of the Dead on stage. And as he was reading from the book, there were plants in the crowd that became deadites and rose up and, like, crawled out of the out of the aisles and went down the aisle up to the front. And then they all, like, pounced on the Novi guy, like, threw him <laughs> in the air and stuff. It was wild. It was nice. it's a fun way to, like, get people pumped for the movie to start. But. Yeah. Uh, question for you on the anthology thing. So, wait, 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 oh, Mike, wait, wait. oh yeah, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, I I watched it. Uh, I mean, I watched it with civilians, uh, unlike unlike Eric. Like. And yeah, I mean, it there weren't walkouts. Um, the major I didn't clock everybody, but there were a number of noticeable people in the. So this is an opening night crowd, right? So there's a lot of people with various horror T-shirts, a lot of leather jackets, um, uh, very squeaky. Mm-hmm. So it, it seemed like a crowd that was sort of already on board with it. Um, that being said, interestingly enough, there weren't sort of cheers and hollers during the parts where you you might have been that whenever there's something really particularly graphic, there'd be like a soft murmur in the room. But it, it wasn't that raucous either, which I, mm-hmm. I guess I'd have to peg as maybe a little bit of a disappointment. Did you guys have you personally? Did you guys have moments where you're on the screen where like, oh, that that was a neat, that's a neat uh, scene or a neat setup or um, anything like that? What was like that cool moment for you guys? I mean, right off the bat, it came in with a you know a, a, a franchise favorite uh, POV shot that I thought had a clever angle on why we were getting that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, like so that was that was fun, but like. I like when I watch Evil Dead movies and I see those shots, like the like here comes the camera rushing at something. Um, I get excited because of like what's this going to lead to? Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because like the the best version of that for me is always Evil Dead Two when it chases Ash into the cabin and then he proceeds to like chase him around the cabin right. like into the crawl space, like every aspect of the cabin, which is really funny to me. Um, so like I whenever a movie wants to like do that. 
uh, which whether it's this or raising Arizona, which also has an extended <laughs> camera takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like I want to see what the what the choices are going to be made there. And this one using a, a apartment building, I was like, what's that going to be? Sure. And you do get a couple, but there's one in particular where like it chases you into like an elevator and it's like, OK, and we get a result of things going on in elevators. The use of elevators in this movie works for me is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Including the Shining nod. Yeah, it was great. You don't, you don't, you're making an Evil Dead movie. You got an elevator going on. There's probably going to be a Shining nod in there. <laughs> you got to have it throw up, right? I'd say, interestingly enough, I thought the the biggest difference between this one and the earlier films, um, or, or rather the difference that seemed the most 2023 to me, is how much they toned down the rape aspects, right? Because in every film, it's always a woman who gets possessed first. And and the previous films have made it really clear that this happens through some form of sexual violation. And that's not really what's shown here, maybe implied if There's you know the implication. But, yeah. but it, it did seem like a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. It happens in an elevator, right? That it's uh, the violation aspects of it aren't as explicit. That seemed that seemed like a choice to me. Um, as far as like the scenes go, like I there was like one scene where I had not seen any of the trailers or what have you, but um, where I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, not because I was scared, but because I was like, oh, that's a cool scene is when uh, two of the kids are, are coming out and there's like a third person in the frame with them that's in a blanket. And I was like, oh, oh shit. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it uh, leads to something else. But that was like a fun moment for me for just like a visual, not even like a jump scare. It's more just like a, it's very matter of fact the way that they do it. And I was like, this is, that, that's pretty creepy. It's pretty weird. There's some neat uses of perspective that I quite enjoy as far as stuff happening in backgrounds and characters are unaware of it until the time is right for it to be made aware. Um, but I, I think I think there's a good use of suspense in this movie, I guess. I think they relied on the, uh, oh, no, look behind you gag a little too much. Mm-hmm. It, it's still very effective and fun, but I think they, after maybe the second or third time they did it, I thought, all right, well, give us something new. Mm-hmm. There's also the um, that peephole scene, which the, uh, uh, the director... Every NBA commercial... Yeah, the, the director informed us in the audience that that shot was originally it, it was shot as a one as a oneer. Like it is like it is a one take shot, but they broke it up with reaction scenes because they thought that Sullivan's character, that Beth was just really good at the like the, the reactions helped the scene more than just having it could be a complete one take. But sure. I mean, that is something that's unique as far as doing something clever, yeah. um, just having mayhem happening just right outside the door and being witness to it all from a fixed location right pretty cool pretty cool and i could see that actually working as a one a oneer for mm-hmm. sure um and again i enjoyed that there's like hey no every, every again nobody is without uh is off limits uh, whether it's in the apartment or people that live in the building kind of thing uh that's the use of humor oh go ahead Go go on with yours. As you said, the use of humor in this is is it's pretty present. It's pretty like aware of itself all the time, um, including something like somebody dying by choking on an eyeball or something like that, um, um, or like just really small bits of dark humor here and there. Did you guys find that that was like you should have used more of it uh, with Evil Dead Two, or is it like basically enough? Um. Yeah. Well, I the the eyeball gag is is the one thing that's sort of teeters over into goofy a little mm-hmm. bit more so for that reason i wasn't quite sure how i felt about it and whether it really fit but I, I definitely enjoy the more subtle bits 
like so the deadites are they're always trash talking right yeah i don't remember the exact circumstance but the the main deadite is attacking beth and is hacking away with an instrument of some kind and calling her all kinds of insults and bell is screaming back i'm not a groupie yeah <laughs> it's like there's something yeah. really funny about that that's that's the kind of subtlety that i appreciate much right. more sort of like slapstick nature of the eyeball mm-hmm yeah, I mean, like I said, I think this movie knows how to have fun, and but I and, but I agree with Mike that it does feel like it's being, it's being made as a follow up to the remake as opposed to you know a follow up to Raimi's series specifically, um, and that I I don't think the tonal change is as severe uh, if you compare it to the remake to the original film. Um, as Mike seems to imply, but I but I do think it riding along that line. I think it's finding a kind of happy medium as far as being completely the most grueling event in horror, whatever the tagline was for the remake, versus a movie that like certainly wants to have its brutality in place, but also right. knows how to have fun with what it's presenting. Sure. Yeah, I should. I, should I think, I think the I think the title alone, the way you see the title in this movie, suggests that. Oh, great! Big, great title sequence. Big Christ <laughs> shot of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The no, I should have. I should clarify what I meant when I said it represents the biggest tonal shift. What I meant was shift from the previous film in the franchise, which is Army of Darkness. Fair enough. Yeah. A one, it's almost a one eighty. And so, yeah. Um, one observation I had that you know I, I, I thought of this when you were praising the main actress Sutherland. Sunderland. Oh, yes, Sutherland, like Donald. Alyssa Sutherland. She's she's really great. And it seems to me that playing a possessed person is always kind of fun in these movies for, for an actor because it's an opportunity to play both extremes. Uh-huh. Um, and she's good at both. And she's got a great look. She's got this long, angular face and tall cheekbones that really complement the, the craziness, um, the crazy expression she has to make when she becomes a dead eye. But I think what's what I like in these sort of the the more serious horror remakes is that the deadites don't physically change the person. In, in the earlier films, when someone becomes a deadite, there's a huge transformation to the shape of your face and the musculature and the rest. And in these new movies, they, the, 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 the virus or the infection, the possession turns you more into like a rotting corpse, which I think does a lot, uh, it does a lot to pull these films more towards straight horror than comedy. Yeah, that's fair. The- you, go ahead, sorry. I was going to ask you guys about this because you guys are both much more experts than I am. Um, a it how it is this book of the dead does it look different from the previous ones, and then also again how does that uh how do how do the deadites I know that they act mean and cruel and hilariously but just more the way that um like the the use of like the the voicing um mm-hmm. based on the records like a that was a, that was a cool move but also I was just curious to you guys how did that come across to you guys who have been paying attention to the series uh, for a long time. Um, well, same book. I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I'll say this. They mention it. They mention in the recordings we hear in this movie uh, that it's one of three uh, books of the dead. Ah, I will also say that army of darkness introduced the fact that there are three different books. Um, as far as the look of the book, that that's inconsequential. That's just you know the movie made the choice. Sure. Like the, yeah. the, the, the Evil Dead Two looks different than Evil Dead One. Evil Army of Darkness looks whatever different from Evil Dead Two. The you know they they all look different, um, which I don't think that there's a huge attachment to like 
how much the continuity lies. Anybody no, no, that's no, watched no. the first three, I'm not saying you're saying that, but I, yeah. I think anyone that's watched the first three Evil Dead movies is very much aware that continuity is kind of a fun thing with this franchise as far mm-hmm. as recapping the previous films and like what actually happened. Um, so as far as, yeah, as far as the books go and everything, there, there's there's some lore there and the idea that Raimi and Tapper have is that they want to they want to keep this going at this point. So it's mm-hmm. like, if we're going to explore more of this, um, we'll, we'll see what happens as far as books and deadites and what have you go. Okay. I have an academic answer. Ooh. Or, or, or rather a, a critique, something that came to my mind. Um, but just as a, as a prop, I think the new Necronomicon looked really cool. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Props to the prop master. Um, and then as for like having it done through recordings, I, I mean, it really just emphasizes what I've always thought, which is that you can't trust a DJ. Um, (laughs) so, and this kind of ties into the disappointment that I expressed a little earlier. I, I think, so there's some famous scholarship on American horror films, particularly by, uh, an academic named Robin Wood, who argues that, so, so horror, as we know, is always concerned with crossing boundaries and encountering otherness and strangeness and danger, you know, don't, don't go down that path. Don't go down the woods, all these sort of things. And this author argues that in the 70s, when larger percentages of the American public than ever before have settled into urban life, the spaces of danger and otherness become rural spaces. Mm-hmm. And you can see this in everything from the original Evil Dead to Texas Chainsaw, to, to, Chainsaw, to Last House, Hills, Hills of Eyes, even like Deliverance, which is not a is more of a thriller, is, yeah. is about these things, right? And so by taking a demon that originates in a cabin in the woods and have it arrive in a city sounded to me like this interesting continuation of that urban rural division, which Mm -hmm. also has to be said, plays an enormous role in our current political divisions as a country, right? And whether it's about issues of infrastructure or immigration or housing. And so I thought this might make for an interesting take on that, or maybe like an interesting inversion or subversion of that dynamic. And it just wasn't that for me, mainly because Mm -hmm. the book is already there. I think that's kind of the issue. It's not something that arrives into the city from another place. And so you get into this, what I call the poltergeist problem, which is if the malevolent spirit was lurking under the building all this time, why is it just emerging now? Unless it, was, unless it was a real earthquake and not a like a demonically summoned one. I guess that's well, I, I mean, I get it is in the, the lore of Evil Dead, however serious they want to take it, like in the first Evil Dead, when they get to that cabin, there's weird shit happening, even though they haven't read the book yet. Like, you know, there's the the uh, the bench that's kind of like ominously pounding against the door to the cabin and whatnot. Uh, it feels like the <laughs> it's the same problem that I have with like paranormal activity movies where it's like, how come the demon just didn't get rid of all of them right away? Why is it like waiting like a week <laughs> for us to be filming them doing stuff? And it's like, all right, I'm done. Let's get it over with. I, I don't think there's a specific. The demon has here. a sense of runtime. Yeah, I they're so coy. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're big on pacing. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I don't think there's like a specific answer to your question beyond evil shit just happened to happen. But at the same, but I, to add on to that, I mean, nothing truly bad happens until the book actually gets read from. There's certainly a, a series of ominous things taking place as far as just basically just how the film's working. But in terms of these characters, they don't know to be afraid of anything until something actually scary happens. Mm-hmm earthquakes happen because they happen at random i mean it's if you want to tie it into the way the deadites function it's like well i don't know the aura around this area just it took too it's just too much at this point and it's like finally the earth broke free and now it's going to get out there or something 
Yeah, but, but so basically to answer Abe's original question, I felt like, okay, so new space, new characters, new situation. Does this mean sort of, is it a new Necronomicon? Is it going to add anything uh, on that level? And it really doesn't, right? It does change the location, but the circumstances of finding the book, unleashing it, and everything that follows um, seem very much sort of in keeping with the pattern, even yeah. though it makes lots to new things. And so, you know, can take or leave it. Can I ask I, a question? I have a follow-up question for you guys as well. well as I just have a response to that real quick. I mean, it's, yeah. as far as what you expect from the Deadites and what they're going to do to that, I mean, if you want that level of exploration, like that's what the TV show does. It, it goes yeah. to various extremes with the Deadites and what they represent, different kinds of Deadites or what have you. I'm not saying that like this one couldn't have done those things or couldn't have been a follow-up in some way or could have done something completely different. I, I do think that, again, the the choice to make another evil dead movie 10 years after the previous one. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's not a necessarily a, a, a foolproof argument, but I think if we're laying the ground for more evil dead films to come, getting us a little bit back to basics after three scenes of a TV series, for those that paid that much attention to it, I think that's a, a worthy cause if we're going to get more of these coming, you know, in the future. Sure. Yeah. And sure. if it's successful, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem for Warner Brothers either if it's successful. They should be like, keep on making them. Um, my follow-up question for you guys was a little bit more like the lore of it as well. Are there always just these three types of possessions in the other Evil Dead movies? And it's been a while since I've seen the first one and the second one. But, um, like, is it always, like, uh, necrosis from within or, like, a, a re... A re, a, a re uh, a re reanimation? Yeah, thank you. A reanimated body um like what is that what is that different for this one my general take is if the, if if you're around deadites you're fucked like that's of course yeah it seemed like that like, from the it, record i was like you can't do anything yeah. there's nothing you can really do like yeah. like if there's saying that there is a survivor like that is like well did they survive like did they, how, how far did they really get like i don't know sure. <laughs> which is why it's concerning that's like oh that's sex for children because <laughs> sure, yeah. the, they have no chance against this thing but like yeah I, it's it's not to say it's lack of consistency it's more of just there's a lot of there could be pomp and circumstance to how like something might first arrive or how someone may become sure, a deadite and yeah. someone won't but i think that in the realm of the deadites like i think they're just like we already won. <laughs> we're just yeah, gonna mess. Yeah. We're just gonna keep doing our thing, however way we feel like doing it. But these are all just different versions of deadites. Not the, the the same person, but more just like, oh yeah, again, the it it comes from within, and you're you're just gonna eat glass kind of thing. Or is it that no? There's always one that yeah, in every that. version of this movie, there's been a a deadite that comes from within kind of thing. You know what I mean? But I think you it, what I'm it, asking. Yeah, the deadites possess a human body whether or not that body is living or dead uh -huh. that's part of it but i mean yeah aaron's right like if a deadite's involved all roads lead to fucked right <laughs> is that that being said there are some there are some seeming inconsistencies in terms of how you can get it right if, okay. if, if a deadite throws up on you or bites you or something then there's a logical sort of transference of a virus in, in a way yeah. there's a character are we doing spoilers Should no I um no, it's not there's a character who receives a wound but there's no indication that there's any sort of dead-eyed spittle that gets into it and and this character becomes a full dead-eyed at, at one mm -hmm. point it'd leave me wondering it's like wait a minute so just like pricking your finger in the presence of a dead-eyed is enough to 
to be possessed? What's going on here? That, See, that I I don't dis- I don't disagree with that being a concern, but it's also like that's just this series. <laughs> like that's really Got that's it. all I could really okay. that's the only way I could really explain it. Like there's no real I I get it's un it part of it is that it's just unfair to the characters on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I I I get I could agree with you that it'd be like it would be nice <laughs> to know if there's like a way to avoid this or what like what is the proper like transfusion that needs to be involved in order for things to happen but i i don't think this is i don't think they're making those choices without like knowing that there's not really a level of consistency there sure i think that's okay. part of the the gag so to speak of what uh, the nihilism of it all. yeah the yeah. exact the nihilism of it all yeah like, that's a good way to put it yeah okay uh, thanks for answering talk- my question <laughs> can we talk about these actors a little bit more because mike i know you had some thoughts on things yeah um well, no, I, I I enjoyed the cast very much. I thought they were all pretty on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you you pointed out two things. One, the fact that it's despite being set in a, a building like which is supposed to be condemned, right? That's like the other part of this thing. Like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be knocked down in like a month. Actually, actually, to, to back up as far as like the uh, I don't know the political angle that potentially could come up with this, I just don't like. I just don't think this. <laughs> The movie has like so much wrapped up in the familial theme and the idea of motherhood or what have you that just and the fact that the other Evil Dead films really aren't really concerned with the politics of it all. I just don't think it's on their mind. Like, Mike, is it like would the movie be that much better if it stacked on interesting subtext regarding the regarding infrastructure and economic classes and what have you? No, no, no. And I, I didn't mean to imply that I think the movie needs that either. It's just sort of a way in which in my academic training, the genre has kind of been framed and, and mm-hmm. one way to think about them. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way in which the film ultimately didn't meet my expectations. But sure. I actually, let I, me give you an example. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is a good one. So I'm, I'm assuming it occurred to both of you that how is it the single mother of three kids who I guess works as a tattoo artist is living in that apartment in downtown L.A.? Like, I don't care how dilapidated the building is. That's a very, very, like, lofty apartment. I assume grandfathered in. Right, possibly. But but so this ties into my problem that they didn't do enough with the urban setting. Because if if they're able to live there, um, but so so there's like a father, right? A, a dad who's abandoned them. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they've been grandfathered in or um, if they're just living off of dad's income, even though he's absentee, that's one thing. The issue is that they, the issue is not that they can't afford to continue living there, right? If they were now financially destitute and they had to leave because they can no longer afford to live in this apartment, that's a much more relatable and accessible problem for those of us who live in cities. But unless that information is introduced, which it would be a cliche, but it would be really easy to do. You just have an insert shot of a pile of bills and on the table and one of them says past due. That's all you need to establish that they're leaving because unless we know this, their situation is that they appear to more or less be doing fine financially, but they simply have to vacate because the building needs renovation. So the fact that we're not clear about this suggests to me further that even though they changed it to an urban setting, they didn't really think through how best to accompany that because it's an urban setting without urban people and without urban problems. And that seems like a flaw to me. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there. It reminded me of, um, because when I was watching this and I came out of it, I was like, it it reminded me of um, a Predator 2 situation where it's like, oh, we're in the city, but it's like, it's just Predator in the city. You know what I mean? Like there's... Not really a whole lot else at Predator. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Predator 2 deals heavily with like the gang violence in his yes, comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, on... like, you know, 
it's not as though Predator's just like, let me go kill everybody. It's like, let me, I'm just going to square in on some pockets. But I hear what Mike is saying on that front of um, not doing enough. And I think that that also, I think maybe the filmmakers decided to kind of just limit it to that that one central floor because they also just, like what Aaron was alluding to, like, you know, they wanted to do some things, but also they probably just were like, we also want to get people um, to be killed on screen and, and buckets of blood dumped on some other people as well. It's also a budget concern, obviously, right? right. If you have the evil spill out into the streets, then you're dealing with a very different budget and a very different movie. Yeah, Rob yeah, Zombie's so music comes out. I like on. that it's all very contained, um, yeah. like every... Speaking to the idea of it, like just a simple answer shot, I can agree with you there. And it's like, and yeah, if, if it's it's aspects of that that, sure, hold this back, like that extra star or what have you, as far okay. as doing ultimately a whole bunch more, not even a whole bunch more, but like that much more to present a certain kind of situation that becomes either more relatable or issue friendly or what have you. I yeah. do think the, I, I do think the heavy focus on family and what I, I think that ultimately wins me over as far as what it's trying to do, like what it, what it really feels like it needs to emphasize. Like if it well, wanted to. And you're going to love these fast and furious movies. I tell you, <laughs> I've heard of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do think it just I I feel like it just doesn't want to get too caught up in having a bunch of different angles to be working with. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Wants to, you know, highlight like there's there's a mother and there's a mother to be. What are their differences? What's their relationship? What have yeah. you? I think I think that that it's doing that without trying to complicate it even further. Yeah, I think my 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 main takeaway also is that it started out in the city and then it just closed its ranks and it's just like we're just actually just going to again bottle film this and it's just taking place in this apartment which i thought was like i guess it's fine but you also like what mike was pointing out you also probably just didn't need to do um too much of this pile of backstory or you could have just done a little bit more um a question for or, uh, some observations i had from the the other actors in this movie um uh, when the credits came out i was like lily sullivan tim baltz's wife but it's not that Lily Sullivan, the comedian. It's Lily Sullivan, an actress from <laughs> Australia. So I was like, "Wow, that's really cool that she's like this, uh, this um, a sketch comedian that also does horror movies." But it's not the same person. Uh, good job by uh, the three kids, uh, Bridget, Danny, and Cassie. Um, I also at one point was like, "Cassie looks like the casting room for uh, the next." Um, uh, who's the girl from Gifted um, with Chris yeah. Evans? McKen- the, McKenzie. Yeah, her. Whatever. But, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was like, that's the same casting room as that, which is the same casting room as the whole entire... Um, uh, McKenna Grace. McKenna Sorry. Grace, thank you. The McKenna Grace casting room as well as like the same... It comes from the same room as the the uh, Margot Robbie, Samara Weaving casting room where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, there's like a lot of these people that look the same. So, but I, I dug, I dug uh, all of them for different reasons. Even if they tried to give them limited backstories here and there, I think what it essentially came down to is I like that there was a, a question of blame to some degree of just like, I told you not to do this and you did it anyway. And then um, some, some feelings of remorse. Kids gonna kids. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, is it, is Cassie's the youngest, right? Cassie's, Cassie's the, the youngest, youngest one, yes. She, she arguably has the best line in the movie, which is the, uh, yes. you know how to lie to kids. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that, that is was, a good line. Yeah, That was a cold-ass line, dude. <laughs> was um, that the trailer? No, it's not. Okay, good. Oh, like, wait, no, it is. It is, it is oh, the trailer. Is it? Okay. There's, a, there's another line I'm thinking of that's not in the trailer that also... Yeah, because I was like, that's a... That was a... I was like, I was not expecting that dig, and I was like, that hurt. 
as far as the family go, like I I agree. I think they're all solid performances, and I want to hear more from Mike as far as his thoughts on why Beth didn't necessarily need to be involved or what difference that could have made. But I to speak to a point, another point you made, Mike, as far as we're in this kind of setting yet we don't have a more diverse family. I will say, I mean, for a, for this franchise, having a you know a, a set in almost entirely of women for a change, that that I do think that's that's a different sort of progress, let alone the fact that it's dealing specifically with 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 maternity with with uh, motherhood uh, mm-hmm. i think those are ideas that are you know new to this franchise as far as what it's going for and one could even argue i mean the the actor that plays uh danny uh is a is a trans actor i mean it's right in the realm of diversity oh i didn't know that yeah i mean the i mean the 2013 is already kind of doing sort of more gender representation right because jane levy is the the de facto ash uh, in that sort of reimagining of it, all the, the besides Army of Darkness, which is you know, there's just MF Davids who's biding time before Schindler's List happens. I mean, the first two movies, you it's always been like both sides, you know, you know, like two women or it's three women in the first movie, two guys, and then so on and so forth. Yeah, oh no, I mean, in terms of like who who gets the sort of mantle of badass by the end. Oh, sure, okay. So, in terms of, I mean, I, I do recognize that removing Beth from the film, um you have to have a completely different sort of structure. As a result, you can't have, you know, let the one of the surviving children uh, wield the chainsaw in quite the same way. So there's mm-hmm. a domino effect of changes you have to make. But I think, you know, what I guess I mean in terms of no, 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 make it entirely about the mother and, and her kids is because to my mind, the best sort of really affecting horror moments, apart from the ooh and ah of, you know, people being punctured by all kinds of... Uh, blades and what have you um what i find really works in the series comes from the emotional brutality that accompanies the actual violence so when sure. deadites assume the persona of your loved one and try to manipulate you and beg you please it hurts don't do this anymore it uh the 2013 has a great cold open uh, along those lines about yeah. a torch his, his daughter right and so those scenes can have real emotional weight um in addition to the gore, or rather maybe neatly complements the gore. And that's another reason why I think focusing on mom and the kids may have given us a little bit more oomph in that direction. Possibly. It's, it's speculative, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I I hear what you're saying. I, th- I, I can, I could humor a version of that movie. At the same time, I do think that the choice to... I think it removes the opportunity to be entertaining Like if you do that. Like, I think it's too traumatic to have children have to deal with their mother and their mother going after her like i think that's even though yes this series is yeah, especially the whole the very horror focused entries are predicated on the idea that the deadites are going to make your life miserable mm-hmm. i still think there's something that's fun about that where i think if it's just a mother turning on her children um could you still have fun with that perhaps but i think the the emotional weight of that choice might make it I don't know, might go too far as far as trying to get the audience to cheer out of it. Entirely possible. I think there's probably a a good, interesting, and dare I say, tasteful way to do it. And then there's a way to send it in the direction you're saying, which is that it becomes too, just too much and too traumatic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who knows? But the the better version of that premise was the slightly better version of this movie playing in my head. That's fair. Okay. If you know, for all the talk we've had about this, we haven't really talked about the kills and the gore in this movie. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> is there any anything that? Um, well, for what? Well, Abe, you already said that. Like maybe your anticipation of this 
in terms of compared to seeing it, it wasn't as strong as you might have envisioned it could have been. Yeah, Just, and I think that you mentioned that scene in in twenty thirteen uh, Evil Dead two again with like a razor, um, where mm-hmm. it's it very visceral. And again, I think the term I used earlier was relentless. Where it just kept coming at you, like the dead eye just kept coming at just you. The needles horror. and stuff too. Which yeah, Fetty Alvarez just like kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Like it wasn't like an overexertion of it. It was just like, oh well, this I can see why this person is exhausted. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And and this one, there's like, there's uh, there's like some build up to each set piece, and I think that build up allowed for again people to leave the theater, whether it was because they were bored or because they they were scared. I hope that it was because they were scared. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would say that there's there's like some good like ooh kind of moments, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't think that there was one that really met the level of uh, the the 2013 one. But you guys also discussed that it, it is very different as well. These are different directors. It has a different feel coming into it anyway. Yeah, which you know it's important as far as distinction. But I hear you. I agree with you. I I do think there's nothing in this movie that tops like the the finale of the remake is so epic as far as not just blood raining down from the sky, but yeah. the fucking like the sirens on the soundtrack is just really cool. <laughs> just to think about, uh, let alone like things that happened with a chainsaw in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, w- were you happy with the, I don't know what word to use. Were you satisfied with the amount of blood splatter going on in this film and how it was used? I would rank the finale of 2013 over this one, mm-hmm. uh, the, the raining blood over the blood elevator. <clears throat> but I mean, I mean, I'm echoing something that we've talked about sort of a bit earlier, but I think I was also concerned that a studio film, well, I was concerned going in that a studio film like this would be too skittish to put the kids in real peril, or rather that having children involved does really amp up the ante in, in some interesting ways, but at the same time, almost by definition, curtails how extreme you can go with the violence. And so I was delighted to see that that wasn't really a problem. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard on the kids. And so once that became clear to me um, and certain things start to happen, that's when I perked up a little bit. Nothing really made me squirm, mm-hmm. but I, I did like that there's a moment in which someone is eating glass. <clears throat> yeah. Which I thought was, I mean, I, I could have used a little more gore. Like we, we see the, the shards protruding through the person's esophagus. And I thought, no, 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 that should pierce through. Okay, I, I'm not accusing anybody of pulling their punches because, I mean, it's someone chewing on motherfucking glass. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, okay, well, there's like one more step that they could have taken that they didn't. And so, okay, but I enjoyed it. I, I don't know if you've read Emily St. John Mandel's The Glass House, but there's a whole running thing about choking on uh, swallowing broken glass. I, I, I doubt that's a reference, but um yeah, that that was neat. The cheese grater was neat, as as brief as it was. You know, mm-hmm. did you guys enjoy the thing that happens in the finale, the final boss? Yes. I I'm I'm gonna leave that for you guys because I have no idea how these deadites work. But I was like, I guess that's fine. Uh, it's something new. Okay, it is new. I appreciated that it was new. It, it yeah. the whole cat and mouse aspect of it didn't really generate any suspense for me. Yeah, but, you know, I can was- agree there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the I think it knew how to play it as far as if you show this for too long, it's just not going to work anymore. <laughs> so yes, I, I, I'm I not a big nerd on that side. Yeah, I think sure. it knew how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is kind of a weird balancing act because on the one hand, we're going to give you something new and c- come up with a new monster, but at the same time, we're also going to make this our chainsaw moment, right? So it's 
kind of a departure while at the same time the ballast is that it's also you know the most expected thing in an evil dead any other thoughts on evil dead rise how is it the cat survives sorry that's <laughs> much of a spoiler it does not die in this film it, it escapes through the other parts of the apartments i guess you know it's, it's i a, wanted to see a, like a, a dead-eyed cat that'd be pretty that's pet cemetery part three we're gonna make that movie like but like just a cat who just starts yelling insults at you that I, I agree that would that would have been fun that so actually would calling, be really starts funny. calling yeah calling the kids a pussy yeah, and on brand yeah that actually would be funny but also like horrific so good idea mike free ideas on this podcast this is a free podcast <laughs> All right. Well, when should people go and see Evil Dead Rise, Mike? It's playing in theaters right now. When should people see this movie? Um, if you're already on board with it, then I think go and support super gory studio horror films because otherwise they're going to go away. So, yeah, go support it. Hey. Yeah, I think on our old scale, I think this would be the other dollar theater where it's like it's fun, and I think that if you're a fan of the series, you're going to enjoy it. But also, it it wasn't uh, as uh, intense as the 2013 one in my in my reading. Yeah, this is a fun ride for me. I'm in theater all the way on an Evil Dead movie. You know, go see it with an audience. Have a good time. Yeah. Get gory. Get douse gory. It, douse each other with buckets of fake blood. Have you know, have that kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked all about Evil Dead Rise, but now it. it's time for a... What time is it? Aaron, I think my time for a quick uh, game here. Mike, did you know that that was actually the doorbell that was going to be used in the movie? But they were like, Aaron, we can't afford to pay you. And also, like, that's a little bit too long. It takes away from the scary nature of her saying, open up now. That sounds like a lie. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I have a game for you guys this week. Great. Um, This requires a little bit of a call and response, but it is called, this kill was so gory that you would say. How gory was it? How gory was it? Exactly. Thank you, Mike's, Mike. Mike's on board here. <laughs> I'm going to read you descriptions of kills that take place in horror movies, and you have to identify what movie I am t- referring to. Okay. If you think you know the answer, say your name. Then the answer. Mike's going to run away with this game. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. I kept you in mind with this. Oh, thank worry. you, buddy. <laughs> I know how this goes. <laughs> Here's the first one. Things seem to be calming down after lopping the head off this body, only for the rest of that body to smash into a room, brandishing a chainsaw, only for that to backfire and fall back on the headless body. Hmm. Hmm. Abe. Abe. I'm going to guess that you gave us a gimme with Evil Dead 2013. You're close, but incorrect. All right. I mean, that sounds like Evil Dead 2, if there is an Evil Dead. That is correct. There you go, Mike. And that was supposed to be the gimme, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Aaron's going to warm us up in this game. Make sure to say your name. Here's the next one. This man was chopped into bits by an axe, proving it is hip to be square. (laughs) Mike. Abe, are you asking for the guy or Mike? I've asked for the movie. Okay. Uh, American Psycho. American Psycho is the correct answer. Why do you have the funny pages or the style pages all over the floor? (laughs) The next one. Proving he's better than his double, the way to win out was grinding up another using a boat engine. Mike. Mike? Is that us? Us is the correct ah, answer. That's what it was. Okay. Here's the next one. Turns out this wasn't a boating accident. It was actually the work of one mean fish. Mike. Mike. It's ben Gardner in, uh, in Jaws. 
it is Jaws, but it but it's it's a uh, it's, it's the young woman at the beginning. The oh, not a boating accident. Yeah. You just wanted to go for a skinny dip. Here's the next one. Okay. Wanting to stay ahead of evil forces, this man took a wrong turn and found his head getting chopped off by a large sheet of glass. Ooh, Abe. Abe. The Omen. The Omen is the correct answer yeah, on the board. Professor from uh, Ninja Turtles Part Two. Yeah. Uh, Master Control in Tron. Uh, <laughs> uh, David Warner. Um, here's the next one. The popcorn got burnt, and the trees out front will never look the same after cutting down this mutilated teenager's body hanging from it. That's such an awful description. Abe. Abe? Scream. Scream is the correct answer. <laughs> I think if, if there was a parent where they were there, they'd just like sell the house, but then also they'd be like, tear it all down. Oh, yeah. They sold, they sold that house right away. Yeah. <laughs> no question. <laughs> yeah. We can't be here anymore. But you like how I warmed you up with that one? <laughs> I mean, the popcorn burn and then like this terrible <laughs> description. Yeah. Here's the next one. In an attempt to save a man from cardiac arrest, it was important to use the defibrillator, though it doesn't Mike. always help. Mike? The thing. The thing is the correct answer. A great jump scare. It doesn't help when the chest splits open. That was the other part of that sentence. His arms get pulled out ripped off. <laughs> yeah, that happens also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thursdays. A lot of um, Thursdays. <laughs> a trip to the supermarket turns sour when one teen finds her head being rammed through a bread slicer. What? Oh, what movie is this? I, Mike, I know it. It's the. Uh huh. You know, it's the first one in the trilogy. Yeah. What was that trilogy called? <laughs> this is the 1994. You, wow, you got the year. Wow. Yeah. I don't Whatever. know this, Mike. You will when Mike says it. <laughs> it's by a certain author, popular horror author for kids. Dean Koontz? Uh, for kids. For kids. R.L. Stein? Yeah, R.L. Stein's. You might get it. Four? I'm trying to think of a 1994 R.L. Stein edit. It's not set. The, the movie didn't get filmed in 1984. It's merely set in 1994. It's set. Oh, I, of, I mean. Part of a trilogy, as Mike said. Yeah, I, w- I haven't seen these, but Abe. Abe? Fear Street 1886? Well, it's 1994, I don't know. I don't obviously. You said a year. But yes, you got Fear Street. That's correct. <laughs> Did I get the point? Yes, you got the you got oh, the you wow, got the title. Thank you. <laughs> okay, right. because there's like three different titles. I thought I, I thought. Yeah, I what is Fear Street 1994? Which is this movie? Thank you. Okay, well, thank <laughs> you, Mike. That sounds like a terrible way to I, go. I deserve half credit for that, but yeah, he helped me out. Yeah, you, yeah. Here, asterisk there. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yes, it is a terrible way to go to put your head through a bread slicer. Yeah, not, not the great. best. Yeah, that sounds terrible. It's the gore. It's the most memorable kill in those movies. That was okay. Well, Mike remembered it. Yeah. Uh, he just wanted to be a good major, but when all hell broke loose, he got swarmed and had his intestines ripped out and his legs ripped off. What? He got swarmed. Hmm. Uh, is Mike, is that Day of the Dead? That is Day of the Dead. Ah, okay. Choke on them. That's what he says. Yeah, when his choke on ripped off. <laughs> a good major, like military major? Yeah. Okay. The, 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 he's a terrible major. That's the point of that one. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. Here's the next one. Some games are tough, including this one where a man was hooked to a rack that twisted his body until each part broke. Ooh. Mike. Mike? Saw 3. Saw 3 is correct. Wow. Okay, if it wasn't that, I was going to guess Braveheart. <laughs> uh, I think twice about coming over to this house for dinner after the last visitor got hit over the head with a mallet and hung on a meat hook. Jeez. Mike? Mike? Texas Chainsaw. That is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and terrible, terrible dinner guess as well. 
few more. It's all fun and games when it comes to westerns until you're strung up and sliced down the middle, started from the bottom. Mike. Mike. Name checked it, Bone Tomahawk. You did name check Bone Tomahawk earlier. Yes. <laughs> Here's the next one. Sometimes it's nice to just lie on the bed. Unless your bed sucks you in and turns you into a geyser of blood. <laughs> Abe. Abe. A nightmare on Elm Street. A nightmare on Elm Street is the correct answer. 21 Jump Street. <laughs> it's the street over <laughs> Elm Street. <laughs> Here's the next one. Being TV ready is important, which includes getting hair and makeup done. Though it doesn't really matter when your whole head explodes. Mike. Mike. Scanners? That is scanners. Uncle Ironside. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of The Kill Was So Gory. How gory was it? <laughs> Abe, uh, you got second place this week, but Mike, you ran away with this game with 10 points. So good oh, good job. job, Mike. Woohoo. 10 points ain't <laughs> no fooling. Yeah. I can remove the asterisk. You're fine. Any more points? All right. Well, let's move on now. Let's do some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go with the various questions answered on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash on our podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners and they gave us some answers. Mike, feel free to throw in any answers you might have as we go through these questions. First question we have here is What are some great films like characters who become possessed? Chris writes, Well, Evil Dead is my favorite horror franchise. So any of them have to include Exorcist 1 and 3 as they're great fun. Oh, and The Shining. Uh, Philip has Rashomon. Yeah, that's a oh. uh, characters about becoming possessed or movies about characters becoming possessed. Other possessed movies besides mm-hmm. the obvious. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie, but obviously the first episode or the first uh, Treehouse of Horror where the Simpsons are in the house uh, and they all start carrying uh, weapons and then Marge tells them to stop, knock it off. What's that um, Denzel Washington one? Fallen. 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 That's a good that one, right? Fallen rocks. We're big fans of Fallen. <laughs> and talk about talk about cats, Mike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. What are some notable films featuring evil mothers? Chris writes Brain Dead, Dead Alive, Carrie's Mum, and the other mother in Coraline. Mm. Jeff has Angelica Houston and Ever After, a Cinderella story. <laughs> Kevin has Mom and Dad. Mm. Justin has Mommy Dearest, Flowers in the Attic. More of a book, though. Uh, Philip writes Citizen Kane. And Todd has The Manchurian Candidate. Wow. No one said uh, Mrs. Voorhees, huh? No. No. Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. Let her son swim with with the kids. I'm just going to go with the alien mother and aliens. Is she evil? Oh, the alien queen. Okay. Like mother and... You said aliens. Oh, no, no, aliens. aliens. Yeah, no, alien. not, uh, I was thinking alien. Yeah. Well, you're just blowing up a ship. Yeah. <laughs> She's doing her orders. <laughs> She's just living her best life until the humans come life. around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, here I am in my own area of space, and here you guys are just like Nostromoing. Um, evil I'm mothers. Like yeah. Um. Uh, other mother is a good one, so I'll I'll pick back off of Chris's answer. Uh, Piper Laurie in uh, uh, Carrie. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, did you have one? Not one that hasn't been mentioned okay. already. Yeah, no worries. Uh, the next question here is: What movies have memorable aunts? Uh, Tyler Smith from the show has the Magnificent Ambersons. 
James and the Giant Peach, and Harry Potter. Let me just say right now, uh, it's nice to hear from Tyler. Tyler's had some real um, health issues as of late, so it's nice that he was able to chime in on the old Facebook page. Well, we hope that uh, he's doing well. Uh, Tyler Bunnell has Tina Turner and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Thank you, Tyler Todd, for that. Uh, Scott has them. Oh, wait. Aunts, not ants. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Catherine writes Auntie Mame. Philip has Suzume. Oh, interesting. Uh, Chris has Wonder Woman, Auntie Antiope. And Michael Lee from the show has Eleanor Young from Crazy Rich Asians. Memorable aunts. Hmm. Well, Annie M from Wizard of Oz. There you uh, go. So someone said Auntie Mame, right? Yeah. Rosalind. Yes. I like that James and the Giant Beach call out from Tyler. That, that was uh, that's a good yeah. dig at those ants. Terrible ants. I know. All right. Um, what are some notable weapons used to battle supernatural forces in film? Tyler even now has proton packs. Hmm. Jeff has Constantine's holy crossbow and Hellboy's revolver. Philip has a cat turned into stone in Suzumi. Oh. Philip has just seen Suzumi, apparently. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Suzumi. Uh, Justin has the golden child. Um, and Chris has the sex toy in Deathgasm, a super soaker in Dust Till Dawn, and my and my fave, the lawnmower in Brain Dead. Oh, notable weapons used in supernatural films. Well, obviously, a chainsaw. Chainsaw, yes, yeah, and a boomstick, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Death by stereo in Lost Boys. <laughs> there yep. you go. Yeah, it's a good one. So I have an episode to do on that, huh? Yeah. I don't really have a whole lot of other sad, but uh, you know, if there's something where a beer can gets involved and stabs a vampire in the heart, you know, as I a believe state, a beer bottle is involved in idle hands. So that's there you close. go. Yeah, but that's not a vampire. But yeah, close enough. It's supernatural forces. I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, next question here: What are some great horror films that put kids in danger? Chris has Hereditary. Okay. I don't know why I'm laughing. I don't know either. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's pretty shocking when things happen in that movie. And uh, Halloween 3. (laughs) Kevin has Mom and Dad. Justin Weatherby writes Trick or Treat. Jordan Graff on the show has The Exorcist. And Philip Heard has Pan's Labyrinth. Kids in Danger. Um, I'll shout out Kids vs. Aliens because I just got onto Shudder. And that movie is fun. There you go. Um, well, if we can expand it all the way to teenagers, I, I'm a fan of Attack the Block. Yes, I was going to shout that out too. Of, of yeah. course, yeah. That kid gets um, destroyed in the hallway. It's really sad. And then, of course, the uh, the toy clown scene in Poltergeist is... Oh, nobody likes that. Especially not clowns. It scares me all the time. I'm like... Gives a bad name. <laughs> clowns gives a bad name. Uh, Child's Play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Child's Play too. What about uh, Child's Play uh, Seed of Chucky? There's no kids just, in that I'm one. just naming all of them. I don't want to go Child's Play 3. <laughs> the, the the third one, that's right where it stops, because then it's like, well, they're becoming teenagers now. Yeah, <laughs> so he good. goes to like military school in that one. Yeah. <laughs> a weird a weird detail that I remember. Yeah, you haven't seen it before. I haven't seen Chucky go to military school. That's pretty clever. The son does. Andy does. Yeah, he follows him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Funerals. You know, remember when Chucky's in class with him? He's like, you got it wrong. That'd be a fun scene. If that you happened. dummy. <laughs> That's like, not how you convert that calculation. <laughs> why is the why is the doll in class again? Yeah. He's just like what trying to him? teach him how to make meth. You're gonna get a diploma? He's going to battle. 
Uh, All right. <laughs> what do we have? Cabins, high rises. Where else should Evil Dead's deadites head to wreak havoc? Chris writes Florida. Funny. And Luke Thompson, friend of the show, has a non-infringing theme park based on a cartoon rodent. Hilarious. That'd be that'd be a funny way to to go. Mike, did you have ideas on this? Because uh, I'm yeah, curious. it's yeah. a great question. Well, you have to think about what kind of politics you're inviting. So, for instance, if it were to take place on a military outpost mm-hmm. in Afghanistan, right, that would be a whole different set of set of allegorical readings that you're inviting. But you could have um, Vincent D'Onofrio there being like, we could harness the deadites and use them to fight enemy forces. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> he made it out of physical, uh, the, the PT? That's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to say university campus, specifically mine. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you get the geography pretty quickly. Mike Mike uh, is going to write this movie. I, I dig it. Where could deadites go? I think that a... Um... Ooh, water park. I, yeah, I was about actually, to say an aquarium. I was thinking yeah. water for some reason. I was actually going to say a cruise ship. Yeah, so oh, a cruise wrong. ship would be great. There we go. Yeah, there we're we all go. on. And then it. all of a sudden, like, you know, it comes to port and they're like, what's going on here? And then it's just like the dead eye comes come through. And, and I'm all about this cruise ship idea right now. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this uh, is it's, it's an allegory for COVID-19. <laughs> I feel like if I was in a room of people um, at Warner Brothers sort of brainstorming what to do for our next Evil Dead, I feel like one viable direction would be to go back in time because there's all these sort of like ancient books and texts and recordings. So the Deadites, people have been fighting them for a long time. Yeah. And so to, you know, have it set in the 20s or something like that, maybe. It's yeah. weird you said the 20s because I was thinking Black Friday. <laughs> like, yeah. like, they're in a skyscraper and it's like, oh, the stocks are going, I'm going to kill myself. Also, look at that Deadite over there. Here That's why the stock market crashes because of the Deadites. We just wrote it, guys. Yeah, they really sank the the orange yeah, juice the stock market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like in this movie, uh, they do mention that it's nineteen twenty three, the the year that 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 yeah reaches recording. So, good on you guys for the twenties. Well, we got a question this week for the three of us here today. Justin Weatherby asks all of us today. I know it's been a while. With the way the economy is going, do you think movie sales will suffer even more as people don't want to spend as much? Good question, Justin. I mean, if anything. Uh, movie sales are going back up. I mean, we're, we're looking at an April release of Mario that's going to make a billion dollars next weekend. I mean, or, you know, be up to that at that point. Sure. Um, but I hear what you're saying, Justin, in terms of inflation, everything's just getting much more expensive, cars, food, etc. Um, movies, I, I, I think that they're still kind of hovering on the same ticket pricing. Uh, 15 to 18, maybe some premium seats are 20 plus. But also, this is a great time for people to get in on, uh, I, I you know, like real rewards and what have you, like those basically those um uh, those uh club things that they have because sometimes that can help save a lot. You know, AMC. I know that they've changed their pricing a bit, but an AMC a a list membership is like twenty five dollars a month, and a, a single IMAX ticket or a single Dolby ticket is around that price as well. But I hear what you're saying; it is tough in this economy. Um, and considering that home movies are becoming a little bit more prevalent, I, I hope that theaters aren't going or ticket sales aren't going away. But it is it's a tough decision if you have to make a family of like four go out to see a, th- a movie in the theaters. Movies tend to be I mean, they do take real hits like the Great Depression cinema took a hit, uh, obviously, but they tend to survive these things because going out to the movies is still a relatively inexpensive night out, provided you're mm-hmm. not going to dinner ahead of time and loading up on popcorn like there there are ways to kind of stretch it 
Um, so my concern or, or my advice to, you know, anyone who's concerned about the theatrical experience going away would be to, if you have limited budget to go out to movies, do try to carve out a little bit of time to support things that aren't studio IPs because Mario made a, a bajillion dollars good for good for Mario. But at the same time, you know, the more the entire theatrical experience is being held up by these large tentpole superhero IP type things, the more it's going to produce a bottleneck where that's more and more what's going to be playing. And so in a 15 theater, 15 screen theater, 14 of those movies are going to be taken up by the new Flash movie. Yeah. Go see the one that's uh, not that, and maybe that'll help balance things out a little bit because that's that's how movies are going to survive. Yeah, that's yeah. the exact point I was trying to make. Where it's, I mean, like the compared to obviously 2020, 2021, where things have obviously taken a giant downshift for reasons. Like things went back up last year, and things are only going to go up higher this year. Sure. But it does. Yeah. But but beyond just the money being made, it's how the money's being spent. So yeah, right. I agree exactly with what Mike's saying. And just to piggyback off both of you guys, Aaron, I've said this on past shows, you vote with your dollars. But what Mike just mentioned there is exactly what happened with my Evil Dead Rise screening, where it was playing in one theater four showtimes in that day. And it's because things like Mario and I forget the movie that we talked about last week, but um, like just they're playing in all the other Renfield, Renfield Pope. or Pope Six or Six. Yeah, they're, they're playing in all these other theaters as well. And they're taking the majority of the theater. So it is weird. I think this was a, a topic of concern um, over the summer, last summer, when uh, something when these Marvel films were eating all of the theatrical times and, and um, rooms and all these like small independent film movies or smaller, quieter movies were just like reduced and relegated to two showtimes, four showtimes a day in the smallest theater, um, in the smallest theater house in that in that. Uh, establishment here's the thing it's it's gonna be somewhat worse this year because last year yeah. i don't disagree with you as far as yes there were certainly ip films taking up a lot of space but like right. there were also not a lot of movies last summer this summer there are a lot more movies sure. and by movies i mean studio movies um and it's gonna be that's gonna make the summer gamble certainly interesting because i frankly don't know a lot of number because yeah. it's just there's too there's a lot more stuff than there was but yeah, it's really going to come down to depending on people to see something like Chevalier, a movie that was attended by my dad and I and like six others yesterday mm -hmm. uh, compared to uh, movies that even ones we like that are, you know, packed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's If you want to get the best of all the worlds, you got to actually show that you want to see the best of all the worlds. Yeah. If you and see, I think you, if you want to see Chris Evans and Snowpiercer, you got to, you know, not go see Ghosted, even though that's not in theaters. But my, my point is, I see what your point is. <laughs> I, I think one thing one thing people who may not be as up on these things should be aware of is that um, watching things when they come on streaming is not how you support the theatrical experience. Um, uh -huh. Because I, I can see someone going like, well, I'm still supporting the movies and I'm paying into it through my subscription. And so these movies are still making money. So there's no danger to studio produce stuff. But, you know, there are we're already seeing films that I think very clearly deserved and would have benefited from a theatrical run. So for instance, I think the best uh, recent example is the predator movie, prey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that would have, I, I don't know how much it would have made, but that felt like a movie that would have uh, deserved a theatrical treatment, sure. but they were on Hulu and, and you get it right there. These movies are not trying to make a hundred million dollars. What they want is a hundred million subscribers. 
And so there is a, <clears throat> a cost benefit to putting very juicy, attractive, uh, mainstream IP things on directly to streaming because you're going to get eyes on it. But, you know, if you, if you want to preserve and cherish and support the theatrical experience, it does mean having to go to theatrical movies, not um, settling for things that go on streaming, uh, whether day and date or eventually. Mm -hmm. You're here. Yeah. Thanks to that question, Justin. Yeah. Good question. All right. Well, with that said, that is going to do it for this week's episode about Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I write movie reviews for We Live Entertainment and Blu-ray and Criterion reviews over at Wise Blue. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more friends over my Instagram, abe.mua and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag Stephanie will protect us. That's the other line I was thinking of. Mike? Anything you want to plug? Um, You know what? You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say everyone should go and read uh, A Farewell to Arms. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Just it is. Has that book. Yeah, it's really you know, good. Frankly, enough about movies. Go go pick up a goddamn book. Right. Mike, I don't know how to read anymore. I can verify this. He doesn't. <laughs> he just looks at the pages and is like, I recognize these symbols. <laughs> this is a lost art form from 2019. <laughs> Out. Um, you can find all the other episodes about now Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWD. Feel free to email us at outnowpocketsofhuman.com. Check out our Facebook, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or check out our Twitter, Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And our Instagram page, Instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. And again, iTunes ratings, good to get those. Um, Mike, Dylan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Lovely to be here. Thanks, guys. Congrats on winning the game. And um and our hearts. Next <laughs> oh, I stole that. I didn't I didn't earn it. Oh, he stole them. Wow. Oh, classic thief move. What a chevalier move. <laughs> uh next week's show. That's right. The eleventh annual summer movie gamble begins. Uh so stay tuned for that episode. Uh but that's gonna be for this week's episode. So until next time, so long. And I will say, yes. Evil Dead Rise, good title. The Evil Dead Rise, better title. Oh, interesting. I... Evil, Dead, Evil Dead colon Rise. See, that's the worst title. <laughs> that's 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 bad. What if it was Evil Dead Rise? <laughs> Along with, with three resurrected re, res, resurgence. <laughs> Independence Day owns that. No, no studio is ever going to touch that again. Retaliation. <laughs> Evil Dead again. That'd be hilarious. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> You're a die harder. Die hard, die harder. Yeah. I mean, cool. Evil Dead Dead by Dawn is basically die harder. I mean, so yeah. They got the idea. All right.